To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week, Eastman's Elevated, we have Dan Salzman on. Uh, Dan's a new guest on the podcast, and I'm really excited to release this one to you guys. So I started watching Dan like a handful of years ago, and it's just like he made this conscious decision to be one of those guys that's consistently successful on trophy critters. And and he just didn't... He didn't just make this adjustment in his hunting. He also made it in his life as far as his his career and his family life and just had this this swap or this change in mindset. And so we just dive into it. And um, Dan's been producing some next level critters. Uh, I, I'm super excited to share his success with you guys. He's just a great guy. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I know you guys are going to enjoy the episode, too. Sponsors for today's show, I uh, want to thank Evolution Outdoors. So Evolution Outdoors, they came on right before the hunting season, and they're a broadhead company. And so I did one with Dale Perry. He's the uh, inventor of the Evolution Outdoors broadhead. They have both the Jekyll and the Hyde. The Jekyll's a fixed blade. The Hyde is a, a hybrid expandable. Uh, they've just been doing great for me all season. Um, killed a couple bulls with them. Killed a really nice muley buck uh, with that expandable or that hybrid. Uh, they've just been great heads to me. They're a great company. I really appreciate their support on the podcast. And so um, they gave me 12 of these broadheads to give away. So Dan Salzman, he's in Idaho. They're a fixed blade state. Um, so we got them a, a dozen of those Jekyll broadheads and give it to them at the end of the podcast there. So it's just so great when you have sponsors that, that help out and help give your guests um, you know, some, some good quality gear for being on the podcast. And I'm just in love with these broadheads. They've been doing great for me. And uh, I'm sure those Jekylls are going to do great for Dan, that fixed blade. Uh, man, is that a lethal head. It's just sharpened both front and back. It's got a, a three-quarter leading blade. Uh, and then it, the other direction or the other way, um, it's got an inch blade. So it's a really small diameter, which really helps with penetration. Like I say, sharpened both ways. It does a ton of damage. Super impressed by those Jekyll heads. And and likewise, the Heckle, uh, the Heckle, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> I had a, a brain lapse there for a second, but that Hyde broadhead is awesome as well. It's an expandable, so it's got that three-quarter leading blade that's sharpened both front and back, and then it's got a set of expandable blades, and he's got the tension set just right with a plastic keeper in there. And uh, and then the, the expandable blades open up. They just do a ton of damage, and... Um, yeah, I really like those heads as well. So just a great company. Thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, Sig Sauer is just building some next-level optics. I, I have always believed they build the best rangefinders on the market, and they have these rangefinders that are built in with the BDX system. And the BDX system is an app that will connect your phone and your scope I'm not sure about all the specifics, but it, but it's just amazing as it'll factor in wind, uh, bullet drop, factors in everything through this app on your phone. Uh, it's just a great system, the BDX system. Like I say, I love their rangefinders, and then their optics. 
they they have really stepped up their game to compete with these high-end optics and so i really like their binoculars range finding binoculars i used those this season they work great and then uh their spotting scope they just came out with this new spotting scope it's got an 80 millimeter objective lens and um and and then it's it's fairly high power but it's just so crisp and clean um i used it this year on a bunch of different hunts but i used it in wyoming on that live hunt that i that i captured there wasn't a deer or a buck I spotted the entire hunt that I couldn't tell exactly what he was with that scope. I mean, three miles away, one mile away, it just gave me such a good look at those deer. And so I'm really impressed at this new scope that they've come out with. So if you're in the market, make sure to check them out. They're a great company, uh, Six Hour Optics. And with that, um, see, I'm going to go over, I'm going to catch up with the Eastmans here uh, shortly, going to make a run over in two weeks or so. And catch up with all the guys from the office. I want to get a couple recordings. Uh, Brandon's just had an amazing season. Um, I always like to, to catch up with Dan Picard. Um, did one with Scott Reekers the other day. We'll be, be releasing that. And then we're really trying to plan out this 200th episode. So I'm going to get all the guys together and we're going to do an authentic podcast. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm toying with a couple different ideas. In fact, we're going to have a, a phone conference today on it to kind of spitball and things. But yeah, I'd like to do something where I incorporate, you know, questions uh, that that you guys provide. Um, I'd like to talk about hunting stories this year, um, and, and then just bring up, you know, some of the current events going on, and just get this relaxed setting where I get all the guys from Eastman's in there, and we do like a long recording, like a 90 minute or two-hour podcast. Uh, I just think it'll make for a great recording. Uh, um, so really excited about that and um, be catching up with those guys here shortly. I'm going to get caught up on my Beyond the Grid, so uh, I'm going to check out those episodes and let you guys know on those. And um, yeah, let's get this podcast rolling. So this is a really fun one. Uh, I want to thank again uh, Dan Salzman for being on uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I've got Dan Solzman. Um, man, thanks for joining me this morning, Dan. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, dude. Um, man, I'm so pumped to connect with you. You know, we talked a little bit before the podcast and introduced yourself. This is actually the first time that we've been able to meet and talk, but I feel like I know you because I've been following you for so long. <laughs> I know. I was just uh, I was just looking through our uh, social media conversations, and I've been messaging you like three years ago. <laughs> about just random stuff, bouncing questions off you, and you were gracious enough to humor me at the time. Oh, good. So, I answered you back. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try to answer everybody back. Um, well, uh, I've just been so impressed, dude. Like, I've watched you – like, I feel like I've I've watched you, um, you know, through social media, like, just be a student of the game, and you, like, made this conscious decision that you wanted to get good at backcountry hunting, and then I've just watched you – put in the work and dedicate yourself and, and just make these these changes to your life and and you've just embraced it the the lifestyle and not that you didn't love to hunt before that but i i've just watched like this switch in in you and now 
Like you're starting to produce some some super high end trophy quality animals just from all your hard work paying off. And so like really fun to watch you arrow a giant bull this year. Really fun to watch you. You just harvested a giant mule deer, you know. Um, it, it's been really fun to see. So that's what I'm really interested in is is just how you made that transformation and what decisions you make and the work you put in. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, man. It's, it's, it certainly wasn't for other people to notice, but it was just the, yeah, like you said, it was a, a series of decisions, kind of not one big one that just, just the domino effect. You start making better choices involving your hunting moves and, you know, the, the rest of it kind of falls into place. So it sounds like um, when we started talking, elk was kind of your first love. So you decided you wanted to get good at elk hunting like a handful of years ago? Yeah, so this was my sixth year of elk hunting. So I'm from Pennsylvania originally. So I had never seen an elk, you know, ever until I moved out to Idaho. And I was, I didn't start elk hunting until I was like 28. So yeah, I just decided I wanted to be an elk hunter. And then that's just kind of my personality type is to either go kind of all or nothing. So I didn't want to just, and, and, you know, I knew a guy, a bunch of guys who hunted elk and none of them ever seemed to get one. And I didn't want to be that guy that was just out wasting time, you know, trotting around the woods. So I just put a hundred percent of my effort into killing elk and that seemed to start paying off right away. So I've gotten one every year. And then it was really only this year that the mule deer bug bit me kind of hard and decided that, you know, since I felt like I had at least a reasonable understanding of what elk were doing and how to kill them that I should start focusing on some other critters. So, man, how cool. So, so elk, when you, when you made this decision to get better and be a guy that consistently fills his tags, like what did that consist of? Um, so I, I, it wasn't a, it wasn't even a decision to get better. It was just, I mean, my, my, I tagged out my first year and it was a draw tag, so it was an easier hunt. And then I decided, well, I, it would be more fun to hunt them with a bow. So I would do some research and find a decent unit and just learn everything I can. And so it was just a decision to be a good elk hunter right from the get go. And it's, um, I knew I'd be, have to be in better shape and learn how to call. And then, you know, there's a, there's a lot of aspects to that game is, you know, how to be good at really hunting anything, but I was just a hundred percent focused into that and finding every bit of information I could since I, I didn't know anything, you know, it's not like I had any bad habits to unlearn and relearn. It was just start from the beginning and, you know, just tap into every information source I could find. So, um, and I knew I wanted to hunt, you know, in the back country, as we say. So I, uh, I just made that, decision from day one that i grew up hunting in pennsylvania hunting whitetail deer on little 30 acre plots of property or public land and being surrounded by guys and i mean i'm here in idaho and there's plenty of open space and i just figured i wanted to get out and get away from guys as much as i could and experience everything this awesome state has to offer so that's kind of how i just attacked it Man, so you fell in love with the adventure like I did, like uh, just remote country and challenging yourself. And I, it, it sounds like um, like you broke it down the right way, like every facet of elk hunting. How can I improve and get better? And like 
like your fitness is, um, you know, I started to see you run and like you're a bigger frame guy. You're over 200 pounds and all of a sudden I'm seeing you put in these crazy miles and deal with, um, you know, I can't remember exactly, but I know, you know, I know anybody that starts running those crazy miles has to deal with some things as their body adapts to it, you know, whether that's, you know, shin splints, whether that's a uh, 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 foot or, or what is that? Planchitis, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember what your issues were, but I knew you were dealing with them, you know, at some point. But you were just putting in crazy miles, and like you realized that you wanted to be in better shape. But I, I think it's it's so overlooked, and I think like the the true, you know, if I had to guess or if I had a theory on it, like the key to your improvement it is the mental side of things. Is this 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 mental fortitude of deciding you want to be a good elk hunter and, and then holding yourself accountable and making yourself being out there run like you you sharpened your mind through all this is what carried you through to the finish line i feel like uh-huh. yeah you're 100 percent spot on there and it, so i had this kind of cr- transformation like i said right when i started elk hunting about 28 i decided i wanted to elk hunt and uh I, it was like a midlife crisis at 28 i was 240 pounds, you know, married with two kids and just not really doing anything with myself. And I was like, man, maybe if I did this, it would add some, some value. You know, I would, I would feel like I'd accomplished something, you know? And, uh, so I lost a bunch of weight, started running, you know, signed up for a half marathon, like a couple months out and just really started grinding on it. And then, then once I lost the weight, I was like, well, Hey, maybe I'll give the air force a call and, and see if I qualify to get in now since I'm not fat anymore. And, and they took me, so then I had, it was like my first elk hunt lined up right before I shipped out for basic training. So, you know, it was, uh, then I would have two reasons to get in shape, and I was contractually obligated to stay in shape, which really kind of motivated me too. And it was just, uh, just a whole series of events that really kind of just changed who I was as a person right in that time frame. And that's all it was, it was just, it was, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, self-loathing <laughs> mixed in there from just just feeling like I hadn't really done anything with myself and and that made me angry I didn't want to be that guy and you know not have a person in my kids life that they could look up to and and maybe be, being a good hunter or a good outdoorsman is a little trivial but it's one of the things I admired most about you know my dad growing up was how much effort he put in and usually with little or no outcome since the opportunities aren't as good back east but you know, I just, I just really wanted to make myself a better person. And I think funneling it through, um, the, the effort that I put into being a better hunter kind of tied it all together. Man, that's so, um, that's so honest, Dan. Um, it is a transformation and I feel like, I I feel like, um, anything you want in life or the person you want to be, it's just being that person. You can be anybody you want to be. You can, you, you just make a decision a conscious decision and then you start doing that day after day and then you're that guy you want to be a runner you just start running do it every day and pretty soon you're a runner you you want to be a good father you just you work at it day in day out you spend that quality time you connect with your kids you put your phone down you have good conversations like it you can be any man you want to be you just decide you want to be a great man and then you just start taking steps in that direction and day in and day out when you're faced with the decision to do it or not to do it or you're faced with the decision to make the right decision or the wrong decision you just go down that right path and pretty soon you get down the line 
and you can you are the man you want to be, which is exactly what you've done. You've just willed yourself into being this accountable, disciplined person that succeeds at everything he does in life. You know, like like you just made a decision that that's what you want to do. I think that's so cool, man. It's so inspirational. I appreciate it, man. That's that's exactly what it is, and that's all. I mean, it's based on the fact that I didn't do that for a lot of years. You know, I gave up on things when they got tough in life, and I didn't really apply myself, and I. You know, I dropped out of college, even though I was plenty smart enough to see it through and, you know, quit playing football. And I just hated looking back on all that stuff and seeing a, a wasted amount of potential. Like I should have and could have done all these things differently. And I let myself give up on it. And I and it just hit a point where it's like, you know, you can't bullshit yourself anymore. It's like, you know, I just I'm just not going to be that guy anymore. So, yeah, I just applied that to how I wanted to attack the mountains and hunting and, and, uh, it seems to be paying off. Man, I would say, um, yeah, that's it. Um, well, it, life is structured to where it, it, it always wants to make an excuse for you or like it, it's structured to where you can always take the easy way out. And, and I was the same way in life and, and, you know, I'd give up on things here and there when it got tough or I, and, and then I just regret it, you know, and, and even in my wrestling days, like I, I applied myself and I, I learned that, you know, effort equals success. And like, I, I, that's where I started to learn those life lessons, but still there is a, you know, as I get older and I reflect back, there was more I could have given. There was, I could have been better. I could have been the best out there, you know, if I just would have put more into it. And so, yeah, I can look back at decisions in my life and things that I had done and and I wasn't proud of them, and it is almost just making a decision or a switch. And it's it's wild that hunting, you you said trivial, like being a good hunter. You're right in the grand scheme of things, like it's not the most important thing in life. Like um, you know, building a good life, being a good father, being a good husband, enjoyment of life. You know, um, uh, uh being able to you know, money isn't everything, but being able to be comfortable and not stress over bills and get yourself into a good life position is really important. And so you have all these other things, and it's wild how hunting. It's it's just finding our passion. It's finding something that we love to do that we're willing to to put in all this energy in to become better. And through that, like it teaches you all these life lessons that then you can apply in other places in life. And it helps you deal with depression and anxiety. And, and it helps you have a positive outlook. And it like it just teaches you all these life lessons that I think then apply to your regular life. And so all of a sudden your hunting starts getting good. But you know. You, you've also got all your stuff together. You got all your ducks in a row, and you take care of your personal life really well. Like I don't know many really good hunters that don't have their personal life in order so they can go hunting. You know, like the, they they go hand in hand. It seems like almost. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Once, I mean, if, basically, if you have something that you enjoy that much, that it's, I mean, it's your main focus, and and you can physically. Like there's a physical representation of it at the end. Like it becomes an actual object. Like I have a wall in my house now that represents all of the effort that I've put into it and, and a freezer full of meat. It's, you know, you can, you can really see the outcome every day and it keeps you focused on it. And, you know, like you said, your personal, the personal life in order, like you need to get that stuff in order to make the other thing happen. And then, which would be hunting and then you're hunting needs you know needs to all be organized and precise and you can't be out there wasting time in order to keep your personal life on track too so 
you know, it definitely all ties itself back together. Man, it's so cool. We're we're so fortunate to have found what we really like to do because, like, when you were 27 and lost, like, I was at that age, too, where, you know, I was – I was like 20 when I moved to Montana and kind of immersed myself in hunting. But, you know, there were some time periods in there where I was lost too, not really knowing my direction or where I was going. And that's a, like in this world, seven billion people, like you almost feel lost or like you don't have a purpose or like you're not accomplishing anything, you know. But to find something, like you say, that you really love to do, all of a sudden you've got passion and excitement in your life. Like all of a sudden there's a reason to get up every day and get your run in. There's a reason to eat healthy. There's a there's a reason to, to, to take care or, or stick money away so you can go hunting or whatever the case is. But it seems like after you find what you like to do, it, it gives you more drive in life. Like you're just happier in life. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I was so fortunate to then turn that into, you know, my military career and getting some – some good training through them, which I was then able to parlay into a better job and, and, you know, and then advance there into an even better spot. And now it's just, it really has just had a profound effect on my entire life. You know, in five years I went from, you know, making 12 bucks an hour working at Subway to being able to support a family of six on a single income and owning a nice house. And just, just, (laughs) it's almost surreal to, to, to look back on it and just think, man, how this all started and where it came from. It seems, it seems so small, but that's all it is. It's just a, a, something has to click mentally for you to say, okay, now's the time and I'm, I'm just going to get after it. Dude, that's incredible. Like you say, to like, to make that transformation in six years and, and, and build this life for yourself. It's amazing. That's the American dream. And same thing for me. Like I've just, I've created this life that I can hardly even fathom. And me at 25, you know, envisioning where I'd be at or what I could accomplish. I'm way past any of my wildest dreams of what I've been able to accomplish and the man I've become, you know, I'm so proud of who I am and, and how I carry myself and things. And like you say, it's just a transformation and all the, it all starts with that mental side and that mental game. And you, like it, it is so important to everything in life, and so important to your hunting. So I, I just think that's so cool that that's where it all started was a decision, and, and then from there you've just been able to grow it and compound it into building this great life, and now this this great hunting career where you get to go on these adventures, like like your elk and your your mule deer, and put everything into it, and then you know walk away. That that bull was a giant, man. You had to be so stoked getting a good arrow in that bull. <laughs> I was, I was thrilled and it, it didn't, it didn't go off completely as planned too. There was a, there was a bit of a wait and the shot wasn't, it was a good shot, but the angle was a little different than I expected because I couldn't see the whole bowl. So, you know, it never, it never goes perfectly, which I think is a positive too, because then you're not satisfied. You're like, well, I could do this better. I could do that better. And you could just keep feeding that monster and wanting to improve. So, but yeah, he'll be It'll be hard to top, but I'm looking forward to doing it. That's for sure. Yeah, you can never rest on your laurels or you never like uh, you have accomplishments and you're really proud of yourself and you're happy that you pulled it off. But you never just sit back and just go, man, I'm the man, you know, like I got it all figured out. Look at all these trophies I got on the wall. Like you never never say that like every season. Like the elk don't know who you are or what you've accomplished or your skill (laughs) set. Like you have to prove it every year. You know, you've got to go out and and it's. Like uh, trying to arrow or, or trying to harvest an animal on public ground, it's like one of the most difficult things out there. And so 
every year, every season, every hunt, you got to go climb that mountain again. So the minute like you sit back and think you've got it all figured out, all of a sudden you lose that that drive and that hunger to be good and to improve. And so all of a sudden you're not putting in as many miles. You're not you know dedicating as much time to scouting. You're not you know uh, you you just don't take it as serious so you're right like the the key to this game is staying hungry and you harvest one like the fun is in doing it you think you harvest a great bowl and your journey is over and it's not for us guys like man that just fuels my fire like i kill a good buck you know i'm super proud of it and and i you know I, i i live in that moment a little bit but then pretty soon i'm right back to work i'm right back to getting in those runs and and like you say um, you know, you just said it perfectly. I look forward to taking on that challenge or trying to top that bowl. Like that's the way you got to look at things. Like that's the way a successful hunter looks at it. Is you're you're just um you're you're looking towards the next one now and looking to put in the work and the training to climb that mountain again and have those feelings of success again. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of uh, you know this crazy sport that we love so much is that no matter how good you get at it, it never gets any easier. So it's not like something where you can. You know, you can just get comfortable. and I mean, it, finding things and knowing where to look might get easier, but like you said, you still have to climb that same mountain every year. So it, it just keeps you focused and on it. And then with my particular part of it this year, like I shot that bull and it's the biggest bull I'd ever shot. And same thing with my buddy Will that was with me, the biggest bull we'd ever seen get put on the ground. And then next weekend, I call a bigger bull in for him, and he kills it. I'm like, well, I want a bull that big now. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I got a week to, like, marinate in it and be super happy, and then it, instantly I was envious again. I was like, well, I guess I got to top his now. So it's just it's funny. It's never enough. It, it is. Um, well, the fun's in doing it, you know, and the fun's in taking on that challenge. And, um, you know, it it's uh, – uh, I, I just uh, that I love the process, as I think you've grown to love too. And you you start putting in all this work, and then you um, accomplish your goals. Gosh, dang it, does that feel good? Especially when it's so challenging and so tough. And and you're right, this hunting, no matter how good we get, it's something that that at least for me, like I can never quite master. I can never, you know. There's still animals that get away. I still make mistakes. I can still improve this. I can still improve that. I can still go harder, and I can stretch what I think is is uh, cap- what I think I'm capable of in my own mind. I can still push that limit, you know. And so, like, it's just it's it's never ending. And I think that's what I love about it too is the entire process. And so, yeah, when I harvest an animal, like I am back to work the next day. I am back to running my miles the next day. I just don't give myself a break i'm just i i love the process and working hard towards my goals and i you know i'm just lucky and you're lucky that we found that oh for sure i wish i wish i was as as dedicated as you being back to it the next day though man i i still can't get out of this this trap that i set myself for every year or after the hunting season i'm like i'm just gonna chill out for a couple of weeks and you know, reward myself. And it always winds up with not enough workouts and too much pizza. And then I'm like, damn it, I'm 225 again and back to the grindstone. And I, <laughs> but it gives me a little more motivation. I get mad at myself for doing it and then I hit it harder than I probably would normally. So it's a, it's a cycle I'm still trying to get out of and, and still improve on myself. So we're like, it's like we keep it and, you know, you're never done figuring it out and getting better. And that's one of the things that I've identified that you know, it's not, I'm not done yet. There's still, there's still more to do and more work that needs to happen on myself to, 
to be where I want to be and be who I am. So just identifying those pitfalls that you know you can improve on and focusing in on them one at a time. Man, we're all a, a work in progress, aren't we? We're all working on ourselves and trying to be more accountable or trying to get to where we're going. But it's it's just um it's so introspective where you can look at yourself and make the the self evaluation and be self critical, you know, and and figure out your pitfalls and where you can improve. It's so easy, like the human ego. It's so easy to mask those. It's so easy to make a mis- uh You know, it's so like life is structured pretty easy nowadays to where, yeah, you can just coast pretty easy. And and like even, you know, my wife doesn't know half the days I run or there's nobody here that's keeping me accountable other than myself. You know, like like I'm the only one that I have to answer to. And when you're really trying to improve who you are and and, um, you know, it it does it you hold yourself accountable and pretty soon it's not about telling like it's not about telling everybody what you do or it's it you know nobody knows half the work i put in cuz i don't even talk about it it's just it's just what yeah. i do and it's my process but where that pays in dividends is during hunting season or during these tough hunts you know i'm able to grind it out and i put in all the necessary work to to be successful so that's where it where it seems to manifest itself or seems to show up is, you know, then you've got a picture of a, a good critter you arrowed. But, you know, and a lot of my fans or a lot of the people that I know know the hard work I put in and know the human I am and, and can see it. And so when an animal shows up, they know I put in the work to get. But, you know, sometimes a, a picture just comes up and people want that picture, want that success. But it it's all the work that led up to that 365 days of, of research and hard work and commitment to get there to have that trophy photo. No such thing as luck. <laughs> that's that's oh. That's another one right there. Yeah, when that picture shows up, people don't know. But if you're using other people to motivate you to get out and do that kind of stuff, and you have to post every workout on social media and all of your runs, you know, you're you're out there, you're doing it for the wrong reason, and that can give you a boost and get you started. But it's that stuff doesn't last. You gotta you gotta just want to make yourself better, and you can't be looking for other people to want it for you. So I think that's kind of a trap. Looking for looking for motivation. It, it is it is a trap, isn't it? And you've got to be careful. These phones are so addictive, and social media is so addictive. You know that that it's easy to get a little boost from it. But you're right, is that it's an empty boost. Like it it may help you in the beginning, and it is. You know, it's it's nice to be able to share your life and share your successes with other people, and there's a lot of good that comes from it too. And you can gain motivation, but you can also get trapped in this game of likes and comments, where then that's your life of this network of people that you, you're really not connecting face to face with, or they're not meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. or you know whatever the case is. I know we get a lot of positive out of social media, and there's a lot of motivation I get out of it, and inspiration. And like I was just telling you, man, I love your posts lately have been so spot on your one today which i i do want to get into about not using camo and being frugal and using your money like i just thought it was such a great post like i get inspiration and i really enjoy it like it makes my life better to see that but in that same breath i don't want to sit on social media and waste an hour of my morning like i gotta get be productive and get things done so i've got to really keep myself in check with that social media and I think we all do. It's so addictive nowadays. Like, we all have to keep ourselves in check. Otherwise, we're just going to end up living this empty life, looking at our phones, comparing ourselves to everybody. And it's not going to make us any happier or get us anywhere in life. 
No, it, it doesn't. That's the sad part of it is that there's not, it doesn't help you in any way. And it's, I mean, it's, it's so addicting and it would, I mean, it caught, it literally causes a chemical reaction in your brain getting all, all that, you know, affirmation from other people, likes and comments like, but I mean, it doesn't last. That's the problem. And then you're looking for it over and over again. And so I don't know, personally, social media kind of drives me nuts. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't have, um, I just, there's so many people on there doing stuff for the wrong reasons that it bugs me. And I hate to focus on the negative of things, but it's kind of why I go in like waves. I'm on there and I post my ideas and things that I think are, might be valuable to other people, lessons that I seem to have stumbled into. And, and then I'm, I'm usually off there for a while. I just cool out on it and I go back. I use it to talk to people that I, you know, genuinely care about and, and message with and wouldn't run into otherwise. So, I mean, it's got its, it's got its perks and it's introduced me to a ton of awesome people, but there's a lot of junk on there as well. That's not healthy for you. It's a balance, isn't it? We all got to keep ourselves in check. And yeah, I mean, it's um, necessary for me for the, the writing and podcast. It's been really good. I've been able to get my name out there and what I do. I've been able to show other people, you know, and hopefully help other people along the way. And this podcast has been so great for me. So I really enjoy it. But you're right, as I just got to keep myself in check. And it was so healthy for me this year as I took a month break for from it, where I didn't even get on. I didn't even look at anything. I, well, that isn't true. Like, I got on a couple times to answer personal messages or whatever get back to people but pretty much didn't post didn't look at anything and just focused on the hunt and being present and being with my buddies and uh it's really good and healthy for me and so for me it's just it's just keeping it in check it's it's using it and trying to get the benefits from it and trying to connect i've connected with a lot of great people like you say over it so it's really good in that aspect but it's trying to get the positive out of it with with trying not to get too much negative and trying not to be addicted to my phone and and um but but yeah it, it's a balance for all of us it's it's fun to hear uh other people struggle with it too a little bit um but boy that that break was sure nice yeah, it's funny how you don't even think about it when you're out in the mountains. Like it doesn't even come across your mind. To, oh, I should, you know, get on Instagram or get on Facebook or whatever else. Like I don't, I don't know if maybe that's just me, but I, it doesn't, it doesn't even occur to me. Nope. And then all of a sudden I'm home and I'm like, I'm glued to it again. I'm like, what is this? Why, you know, it just, it's not right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like natural. being bored or, or yeah, but in the mountains, yeah. I'm the same way. I never have to look at it. I never have the feeling to look at it. But yeah, I'll catch myself around the house and all of a sudden I'll get on there to get my, you know, I use a calculator a lot when I'm doing work, but all of a sudden I open it up and I find myself and I'm surfing through some app and I'm going, what in the hell is your problem? You just got, well, you don't even remember what you got on here for, but they're so addictive and such a time suck. And I just know, like my biggest thing right now is connecting with my family, is that anytime I'm around them, I try to have that phone down and I try to be having a conversation with them. I try to be engaging with them. Like it, it's and not that that's a new thing, but it's a conscious effort that I've made that I just know yep. these phones are so addictive and we're going to end up be staring at our devices and not connecting with each, each other. And so, you know, we have dinner at the dinner table every night and we and then I just try to connect with them. Like even this morning, you know, the girls getting ready for school and, you know, you like you try to just have some conversations with them and figure out what their day is and, um, you know, what they're looking forward to. And you just like these really meaningful relationships. So that's been my biggest thing here lately. Yep. Yep. We're doing the same thing. There's, there's no worse feeling than your kid asking you something 
and then you realizing that you didn't hear them or you weren't paying attention because you were looking at some junk on social media. <laughs> like, yeah. what am I doing with my life? That's usually what I put it down and walk away from it for the rest of the night. So I've been trying to do that too. Just get home from work, and throw it in a drawer. The problem is now the kids are addicted to it too. So it's a struggle. They're always trying to get on YouTube, and, you know, now, so now it's a, it's a full family effort. We're trying to break their cycle of addiction to it too, but, um, dude, it's a full yeah. family yeah, I, press I appreciate you saying that you get, yeah, that you get some value out of some of the stuff I put on there. Cause I struggle with even posting stuff a lot of the time, you know, it's like, does anybody really care? Like, <laughs> cause I'm just, you know, throwing words out into the universe for no reason. So that's cool. Though. Just to get some sort of actual real feedback. Yeah, dude, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's, um, uh, you're so introspective, like the things that you post, uh, they're so, uh, unique. Um, and, and they're like, it's it's your journey and your process and talking about your experiences and you're really honest with your audience as you 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 put down your downfalls or you put down things that you want to improve on or like like pitfalls that you've made in the past i just think that's um so important so yeah no every i i've really enjoyed it um here lately like a lot of your posts that you put up like that backpack one you had the other day that is something i've never heard or never thought about um explain that tip for me again because that's a new one to me and it (laughs) it was like you blew my mind with that thing i was like oh my god i i just learned how to pack my pack for the first time um tell me about that one all right so i gotta give credit to my buddy will because he honestly he showed me that and i had the same experience and I'm all about honesty and accountability. So this is this is not my revelation. I just thought it's like, man, people should know to do this because I was the same way. I've packed out all these animals and never thought of it. So you open up your pack. You separate the bag from the frame like most packs do. You're almost, almost always on a hill. So you put the top of the frame, the part where the load lifter straps are that would be against the back of your head, you put that downhill from the rest of the pack and lay the bag on the uphill side. That way, when you put on the quarters or the meat bags or whatever you're packing, the weight and the center of gravity of that load is towards the top. The hill, that downhill angle is pulling it towards the top of the pack. Then you can cinch the crap out of that bottom strap, right? Since most of that, especially if it's a bag of loose meat, most of that weight is shifted a little bit. Then when you... Then when you get it strapped down, you stand the bag back up. It doesn't slide down through that strap because that bottom strap is cinched so tight that it, it kind of like it'll hang over. You'll get like a little mushroom shape there, and there's no way for that meat bag to slide down. And we've all been packing and had that, you know, like a quarter or a shoulder of an elk or something slide down through, and next thing you know, it's like, sticking down through the bottom of the pack between the bag and the frame so it was just something he showed me this year and blew my mind so i was like man i gotta share this oh it's such a great tip and so you're right whether you've got a meat shelf or you're putting your meat in your bag whatever the case is having that top of the pack facing downhill it spreads that meat out throughout the entire pack because the best place for a lot of weight is closest to your back 
And so yep. you get to like put that meat in there, and with the top of your bag downhill, you get to cinch everything down. And so it's like this really tight, compressed weight to your back. And and like what you're saying, what we normally all do, like me, almost all my meat is all boned out. And so I've got these game bags. I stick those game bags in, and, and then everything just sinks to the bottom and hangs off the back, and it's all just low and back, you know? And so it doesn't yeah, pack as terrible. well that way. Yeah, so like your deal is cinching it all up and tight to your back. I, it blew my mind. It was a revelation to me, too. I just thought that was a great tip. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. So I had to trade him a pro tip, the one that was actually mine this year. <laughs> he hit me up. He's like, oh, I'm stealing my ideas. But, uh, yeah, and that's the, that's the kind of stuff I like to share where it's like, you know, something that's going to help somebody and not just fluff and nonsense. So, yeah, hopefully it makes a pack out easier for somebody who's still got a tag this year since I'm sitting home bored. yeah uh you got to start the process over huh or um start to find some of these late season opportunities some over-the-counter arizona or something yeah that's that's kind of what i'm hoping for hope it doesn't really get you anywhere but yeah that's i'd love to do arizona in january which hopefully that i can i can get down there this year i had some buddies down there last year and got an invite to go with them and my buddy Spencer arrowed a, a Kuzbuck down there last year and had a good time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make that happen. Oh, dude, it's a riot. It's so fun when you can extend your season. It seems like now I've done all these hunts in all these different seasons to where, gosh, I mean, I look at my year, and I'm just full, you know, dang near 12 months out of the year. When I'm not hunting, I'm training for a month or two, but it seems like I've always got something coming up, something to look forward to, you know, another hunt to go do. Um, it's just awesome the opportunity we have or even the the opportunity us average guys have and I know we only have so much vacation and you know like right now I'm back to being a weekend warrior I've really got to take care of work and my family and and uh, you know I, I got to buckle back down on my responsibilities because you know the hunting season I've just been able to absolutely go for it and this has been the most time I've ever had and you know a lot of it is you know in part because of this podcast and my writing is able to generate a little bit and I'm able to to, to put more focus into it. And then, you know, I'm so fortunate that the, the job and my business that I built, that I can be gone and trust guys in those positions. And so, man, it has just been an awesome season where I've, I've got a lot of time, but yeah, we all, we, we, you know, time is, um, you know, it's, it's tough to get away from work, tough to get away from responsibilities, puts extra stress on your family. So we all are limited in our amount of time, no matter how much that is, you know? And so we just got to make the best with the time that we do have. Yeah. Can't disagree with you there. Yeah. Well, um, so, so this, the, the elk hunting back to this elk hunting, improving your skills and improving yourself. So, like it sounds like you focused on on every different facet uh, of hunting from your your shooting and your bow you you improved your mindset which we talked about um you you uh, physically you improved your body and got yourself in good shape and I thought that was really cool how you dedicated yourself like you did a marathon an ultra marathon like that's nothing to to shake your head at like those take um those take guts like to put yourself in on those things and to keep those legs moving like it's easy to sit here and talk about it but man that's those are some of the toughest things that i've ever done yeah they're terrible (laughs) (laughs) especially on the knees of a 215 pound guy They're, they're they're not great and then yeah so just 
Um, I, I don't like to hike, which is how a lot of guys train. Just walking around is kind of boring to me. So I, I'd rather run. So I just figured I'll just, just do a lot of running. And then, you know, if I'm running ultras that are on trails with crazy elevation changes, but I'm basically training myself for hunting season. So just, just find something that works for you. And I'm a glutton for punishment. So I figured, well, just do something hard, keep me motivated, have something to train for. So yeah, that's how the, the ultra thing started. And I haven't done one in since January, just, but I, I feel in the itch again. I'm sure I'll get back to it at some point, but yeah. I felt like not doing a bunch of that before the season. I was actually in better shape this year because my knees and feet and everything weren't so worn out. So yeah. just doing the like CrossFit now, you know, as, as much as I can, five, four or five days a week and seems to be working for me. Good. So, um, did you, so you thought that running, uh, the, the, the trails and the elevation that that translated well towards your elk hunting, but almost put a wear and tear on your body with all those, those miles and things. And so like, it was good training for you, uh, strengthen you mentally and physically, but you didn't like going into season with your knees and your ankles, not being a hundred percent or being worn down from running. Do I got that right? A hundred percent. Okay. Yep. And then um, you found um, CrossFit. Do you find that CrossFit translates really well into mountain hunting? I do. I, I felt like um, – so I've always had good cardio, and especially with a lot of the running, um, cardio was never an issue. But muscular endurance, especially if you're, you're packing heavy animals out of nasty terrain or just even just climbing with your pack and a couple days' worth of food on your back. I mean, if you don't have muscular endurance, you're going to be shit, shit out of luck and standing around huffing and puffing or or get where you want to go and then be sore the next day on the mountain so i feel like crossfit is is um it's it's really hit a sweet spot for me where i'm really dialed in and in good shape still have the cardio but then just not beat up physically and worn down i mean running to do a 50k and like the just to get there you got to be putting in like i was running 40 miles a week and then on top of that, you're doing races, and then you're out there running for six hours straight. And if you're doing a bunch of downhill, you're just pounding your joints to death. So I can do the same thing and put that hour a day and not into the same repetitive motions like running and wind up with overuse injuries like the plantar fasciitis. And, you know, I've had broken a bone in one foot and ligament issues in the other. And just so it's it's working out for me fitness wise and you can it's all about how hard you're willing to push yourself so if you have a day where you're not feeling good you know you can you can go a little easier and then i'm a ultra competitive type of guy so you know i try to hold myself to the same as a lot of the other you know really fit guys in the gym and work as hard as they are so i'm always i've always got a goal to try to catch somebody which helps me stay focused and motivated. I can't let myself go easy because I know they can see what I did too. So there's, there's some checks in place to, to keep myself given a hundred percent. So it's really working out for me. 
Yeah, some, like some great accountability there. Um, well, we're all just individuals in, in what we find and what works for us. And I like definitely the, the trail running for me. But I know what you're saying is I first got in, I was really into running marathons and running ultras and training for these races. And it almost started to take away from my hunting. You know, all of a sudden I'm having to put all this time and effort like my spring bear. Well, when I'm training for an ultra, I've got to get all these running miles in, like you say, 40 yep. miles a week. And so I just feel the pressure and then I'm not out bear hunting, enjoying what I really love to do and why I'm training in the first place. And so like throughout my life, I've had to kind of find a balance with it. Now, you know, I love running, but I'm a smaller frame guy. Like I, like I say, five, seven, 155, I, I can run forever. I have no joint pain, no hip, no knee pain, no nothing. Now, maybe if I go do an ultra, I'll have some knee pain the next day or something, but I also found that getting off the pavement helps me so much. Like running trails, even that up and downhill, it just doesn't put much of a wear and tear on my body. And my body's like adapted to that stress. And so like I get a really good workout from that. And that's my way that I, you know, that I put in my work. But then I also um, like that CrossFit. You know, I do a lot of kettlebells, pull-ups, push-ups, just a lot of upper body, body dips, um, upper body exercises, you know, to keep my upper body strong um, for packing that pack around and being able to twist and, um, you know, being able to have that, that muscle up top on my frame. And muscle in hunting is so important. Like a skinny marathon runner, you know, sometimes those skinny guys do have a lot of endurance, but I, you know, and we're, we all are individuals in the way that our frame's made up, but I like a little bit more muscle on my frame. You know, I think I'm built similar to you, just a smaller version of, but a little bit more muscle on my frame to be able to get that pack and take it for miles or be able to pack 100 pounds out of the, the mountains. And so, like, we all got to find what works for us, but I've, I've definitely been really interested in that CrossFit and uh, they're starting a new gym up. I live in a really small town, man. We got like a, a couple thousand full-time residents, but they're starting up. It's actually the kid that I'm building a house for right now is uh, starting up a CrossFit gym, him and his, his wife. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it and would love to dive into it. And I love the accountability you're talking about and the community that you build that kind of holds you accountable, that everybody's into it. And then... I also like like that muscle endurance that you're talking about. Now, I do kettlebells and pull-ups and I do different things, but I don't think it, it's as intense as what you guys are doing. Now, I worry a little bit about the injury side getting into CrossFit now, just with um, a lot of the heavy weights and, and deadlifts and squats. Like, you know, I've squatted throughout my life, but, you know... Like the the big heavy weights is just not my deal, you know. It's like I and yeah. and maybe that's maybe that's a a pitfall in my own life and in my own training that I need to conquer. And not that I haven't done deadlifts and and squats and cleans my whole life. I just found like those squats, I'd pull out my neck a lot just having that weight of that bar on the the back. And maybe it's just getting my body used to it. But it almost seemed like I was putting a lot of wear and tear on my body trying to lift those heavy weights. Um, so I think we all just have to find the right fit for ourselves, but I've definitely been really interested in that CrossFit. I think it's doing a lot of good things for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think um, you hit on an important thing there is finding whatever is right for you and works for you. And that's uh, one of the things I was afraid of with doing CrossFit was it, you always hear about how many people get hurt in CrossFit. And um, I was one of them. I hurt my shoulder and I messed up my back and it was when I was doing it by myself that I kept getting hurt 
the minute I joined a legitimate gym with a coach who would correct the, the wonky movement patterns and stuff I was doing wrong and trying to go too heavy on things when my form wasn't right, it was when I stopped getting hurt and actually got to fix a lot of the things that were messing me up. So being in the right place with the right people around you is, is a big part of it. And having that community where everybody kind of supports each other and is a, it's a big deal, man. It keeps you, keeps you on the right track. That's really cool. You're, you're right. The form is so important to it. And also I'm just such a strong believer in the body adapts to whatever you put it through. And so if you start to crossfit the right way, or you start to lift the correct way with the correct form, all of a sudden you start strengthening those muscles in your back. You start strengthening those muscles in your shoulder and all of a sudden they get stronger and stronger and then they get hard to get out of place or to twist wrong or to do wrong. And I also, I, I love stretching. I, I spend a lot of time stretching or I try to every day. Like that flexibility is a, a big important part of it too. But I see yep. what you're saying with that CrossFit, how you'd almost start to strengthen, like your body would start to adapt to it because – all of a sudden, that's just normal and what you put your body through. And so if you can keep from getting injured, you're going to make those parts of your body stronger yet. Yeah. So the way I look at it is uh, running is purely endurance, right? You're just forcing your body to endure the stress of your own weight moving around. CrossFit is endurance under a load. So you're doing all these weighted movements and and big movements and supersets of different stuff, you know, circuit circuit type workouts, and you're, you're teaching your body how to adapt to being under the stress of, of a load on you, which is exactly what you're doing in the mountains with a pack on. So that's oh. I think that's why it seems to translate so well. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, in in running too, I find that running is is pure endurance. And still, you until you start to run those mountains, like once you start to run that uphill and stuff, like you're really working those leg muscles in in overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like. But now I get exactly what you're saying. Getting used to working uh, under that stressor with a load on you. And um, it seems like you guys, like CrossFit, you get a really good workout in a short amount of time. And that's what I love, too, because that's where hiking, I can't get the same workout or even cross-country skiing. It, it takes me three, four hours to get the same workout that I'll get running in one hour. Like, I get to put, like, this huge amount of stress on me in one hour of running, you know, running these mountains and, and pushing my speed. And, like, I get to mm-hmm. put this stress on my body in a short amount of time. It seems like that's what you guys are doing with CrossFit. Like, it's not quite weight training. It, it's like a mix of this endurance and strength, and it, it puts, like, such a high exertion level on you in a short amount of time. And I think that's why... Uh, I'm kind of drawn to it a little bit more. I got to try it, man. <laughs> you do. You do. So give it a shot. See how it goes. I think you'll like it. Uh, cool. You'll be you'll be hooked like I was. Yep. And and then it's it's so cool that you've made this transformation in such a short amount of time, only being hunting elk, you know, in in six years, and now taking on this new challenge of hunting mule deer, a different species, and trying to figure that out, you know. Um, I, I think it's really cool. I, I think a lot of it too, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier, but is that research and putting time and effort into getting better, you know, using the resources that are, that are out there. And so you've built like a network of friends that you can kind of ask questions on, 
um, you know, what other things did you do or how did you develop your, your map study skills or just finding these spots from scratch? Like it can be so overwhelming. Like what was your process like in your, your, um, you know, learning elk and, and, uh, areas and things of that nature? Um, so basically I just started using the internet for, for everything until I got to meet some people. I mean, most of the like since I'm not from here, I didn't grow up around guys who were hunting and doing this kind of thing. So, just meeting people through social media and the you know getting friends like that through the the EXO death hikes and stuff, and until I could have buddies that I could bounce stuff off. But the first couple of years was all just reading forums, getting on Rock Slide or Hunt Talk or you know the Elk 101 website, and just just starting from scratch, like you said. And I would fall into the, the pitfalls of um, thinking I could get places that I could get to, or, you know, the map looking a lot friendlier than the terrain did in person and, and getting discouraged and quitting on stuff until I, until I really learned how to translate the map and equate it to what I was actually capable of and what was safe and smart to do by myself and not trying to get into places to hunt solo nine miles deep on an elk hunt because it looked like a great spot on the map and you know um you know so now i it, it sort of became knowing what i'm capable of and knowing my my limitations and then adapting my map scouting to that and what i was comfortable with so not trying to go as far anymore but just looking for better areas that were um not real obvious to most people things that things that you couldn't see or, or get to you know from a road or that um had you know kind of odd trail access and closures and it's just taking advantage of different stuff like that man it's uh, it's such a process isn't it um yeah originally like your first instinct is to just find places that are far back in and you hike yep. back in there but there's no guarantee there they're elk in there you know the elk are just so nomadic by nature like you're either in them or you're not you know but yeah finding those spots that um you know there there's those little tough to access spots the spots you, you know you mentioned not being able to see it from a road like any place you can see from a road they're gonna see the elk in there be in there and bounce them out of that spot you know and so finding these little hidden drainages and hidden places that you can hike back into take a look at you know listen to see if there's any elk in there but but just also elk like it where where people are not you know you find elk where you don't find people you know so if you can just keep looking for those spots um and then, like, as you talk, it reminds me, like, you, you can make the best laid game plans in the world, but you almost get on a hunt, and, and a lot of being a good hunter, being a successful hunter, is being able to adapt on the fly, being able to adapt to the sign that you're seeing, the elk that you are seeing, or the elk that you're not seeing, you know, and being able to adapt and come up with the next plan or the next spot to go check out is so important to being successful. Yeah, and having a lot of spots is the other part of it that I found would I would get trapped into being like go into a spot and find elk there and be like, okay, this is my spot. Well, if you don't have spots, you know, A through Z lined up, like when shit hits the fan the first week of the season and elk aren't there anymore, then you, like to be in the season and winging it is the worst case scenario. Like I always want to have a spot that I'm confident in. Cause if you get in there in the first day 
and you're not seeing anything, if you're confident in that spot, I mean, maybe it's something you're doing wrong. You're not glassing from the right spot or you didn't, you know, you just didn't play it right somehow. But if you're not sure of where you're at or what you're doing, you're going to be way more likely to bail. And then you're spending travel time going somewhere else. And so I, for, for me, one of the things that helped me out was just putting the effort in in the summer to have a list of contender spots and not just be sitting in my truck, looking at the map, trying to wing it, you know, opening weekend of the season. Oh, you're so right. Like, um, yeah, as I mentioned, adapting on the fly, like, like adapting, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe I see like a a side of a a face or a hillside that where I found elk and then all of a sudden I can kind of adapt and almost learn a new spot on the fly. But I'm with you that I have got to have a battle plan. I have got to have a big list of spots that I have confidence that I want to check out before season because when it hits during season and all of a sudden there's a bunch of guys in your spot or there's no elk or there's like in that your confidence gets a little bit rattled or shaken and you just can't think as clearly of where you're going to go next. But if you've got a list of spots like your your game plan's already laid out for you. This spot didn't work out. Well, that's fine. I've got this spot that I want to go check out or that I have confidence in or that I have scouted or that I have. And so pretty soon the decision's already made for you. There is no decision to pick up and go home or you don't feel like you're that lost. Like you've got that next move already planned out and the move after that and the move after that. So I'm with you. It gives me a lot of confidence to have you know, multiple plans laid out and developed and spots to go walk because then when I'm lost, like it, all the thinking's been done. I just need to jump on this ridge line and walk out to this vantage point that I've already, you know, pre-scouted or pre-laid out on my map. And so like, it just makes it easier to carry through with your game plan. So I think that's a really important part you bring up. Yeah. So one of the other things that helped, um, was being new and not really, knowing enough to feel like you should trust yourself all the time, I would write things down. I would write on the map or in Onyx under the description of whatever waypoint I saved, why I liked that spot. You know, it faces this way. There's water here. There's this food in here, blah, 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 blah. Make yourself a list. That way you're not tempted to be like, oh, well, let's just wing it over into this canyon that's only 20 minutes away when, you know, you're the, the better spot to be and what you should do is, you know, follow your battle plan and go to this other spot that you like for these reasons. So it, that might sound, sound kind of dumb, but it's, it's, you forget all these things when you're out there. And, uh, I just would be prone to take shortcuts and not do that kind of stuff. Just like, well, let's just try this next Canyon over. It's like, well, I mean, if, if that Canyon was good, you would have circled it on the map and scouted it. Like you're, you're not in there for a reason. So, it helps. It kind of helped me follow my plan and stick to my guns. Oh, I like that. You're almost uh, you're putting your reasoning down. You're almost like uh, reasoning with yourself before you get there. So then, when you get exactly. there and you question it, you look through and it goes, "Yeah, you like this spot because there's water, there's cover, it faces this way, it's away from roads." And it's like all of a sudden, you know, you you've uh, preemptively like uh, uh, beat yourself, like beat <laughs> you your own mind, like in front you, of your own 
reasoning. Yeah. yeah, I like that. You're in front of your own thoughts or something. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I, I really like that. That's a good tip. That's something that I, that I don't do that I need to start doing. Cause you're right. You get out there, you start questioning everything. And, and it's really easy to make excuses or shortcuts. It's, it's really easy when you're not seeing animals to get discouraged and not feel like it's good hunting and wanting to start over it. You know, and I also find, um, along with that, that the grass is always greener on the other side. And sometimes having all these plans out in front of you, you'll get in one spot and maybe find a couple bulls, but you're thinking about the next spot, you know, you're, and you gotta, it, it's tough not to get caught up in, but I have to make sure that, that I'm, I'm hunting to my fullest in the spot that I dedicated to go into. Like if I go in there and all of a sudden I'm not hearing bugles walking in in the dark and I'm not, you know, it's just not going off. It's not the party. I can kind of, I can kind of lose my my ambition to hunt that spot, and I don't go as hard, and I kind of you know I half-ass it, and so then I, I'm just yep. thinking about the next spot to hike, or I'm I'm already hiking out trying to get into a new spot. But what you really need to do is like you you like this spot for a reason. You have to give it your all and go hunt that spot, hunt it to the best of your abilities, being at the right spots at the right time, covering the country, getting the different angles on it, really see what lives in there. And if there yep. are no elk, then you can go on to the next spot the next day or the next hunt. But you don't need to give up on the spot before you know the sun even comes up on it yeah for sure like that spot i was in this year when i killed my bull i'd been in there three times this summer and i'd seen a dozen bulls every time and never saw that one so you, you don't know what's in there until you hunt it until you, you really get you know get in there and mix it up and because maybe that bull didn't show himself didn't like to come out and feed in the middle of the wide open like all the other ones did so you don't know what's hanging around until you really give it your all, and you're, you're shortchanging yourself if you're in there half-assing it and your head's not in the right place. Man, that's so true. Yep. Um, well, uh, Dan, uh, this this podcast episode is also sponsored by um, Evolution Outdoors, this new broadhead company I've been using. So they make fixed and expandables. Um, so you're in Idaho there. They gave me a dozen broadheads to give away to a guest on the podcast. We just have um, like really good sponsors. But you're going to like these Evolution Outdoors. So I got a dozen of them coming. I'll grab your address after we finish up here. But uh, you're really going to like them. They're, um, they're a four-blade fixed broadhead head they're sharpened on both the front and the back and they've got like a three-quarter blade out front and then an inch blade in the back going the opposite directions like i say sharpened both ways these things are devastating and i i shot uh my idaho bowl with it this year um with the fixed and uh got a clear pass through on it which is really important to me with a 26 and a half inch draw length like i don't get as much energy as everybody else so to get an entrance and an exit uh puts a smile on my face just a better blood trail and better penetration and also like you get this broadhead into an animal they're four blades sharpened both ways you know if the shot is less than perfect i think you've got a better chance than average of getting that bull or that buck so uh anyways it's from evolution outdoors we'll get you the dozen fixed blade broadheads awesome man appreciate it they sound they sound like i'm gonna have to screw them on wearing chainmail gloves so <laughs> try not to cut a finger off oh man they are sweet and really aerodynamic i mean fixed blade catch more air off the front end and so you know 
by nature, they make them less forgiving than a field point. But these ones being a small diameter, they just catch less wind out front. And it seems like those fletchings can do a better job of steering in the back. And they're just super accurate. I'm I'm so impressed by them. So I've got them all set up right now, all these fixed blades. I'm headed to, to Idaho here in a couple weeks and maybe chase some deer around down there. So I've got them all screwed on, just shooting lights out with those things. Man, I really like them. So you're going to enjoy them. And they're just a great broadhead for for deer and antelope but a great broadhead for elk i really like these fixed blades for elk so anyways we'll be sending some your way awesome thanks man yeah you bet um thanks so much for sharing your story and your journey like um i'm so happy i finally got to connect with you and, and uh and then you know talk with you on on a long form podcast i'm just so impressed by by what you've been doing lately and um man it's it's just been really cool to connect with you oh I appreciate you, man. You're one of the guys that I've looked up to for a while and, and, and been available to ask questions and stuff and help me as long as I go. So it's uh, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I appreciate you. Appreciate you taking notice and, and, and talking with me, man. It's awesome. Yeah, so uh, I've got your number now. Uh, we got to keep in touch. And, uh, yeah, if you need information on that, that late Arizona hunt or whatever, give me a shout. But, yeah, let's keep in touch. I'd love to have you on the podcast again. Oh, thanks, man. I'd be happy to do it. Hopefully with some more stories next time. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm sure you'll have a, a boatload of stories. As hard as you're working at it and as many adventures as you're going on, um, you're going to have some good ones. Uh, more to come, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, thanks a bunch, man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks again, Brian. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Yeah, what a fun conversation. Just so motivating to hear somebody that's made a bunch of positive changes in their life and we can be anybody we want to be and 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 dan's proof of it you know i'm proof of it just average guys that just make a decision to to put in the work to be successful to to be a better man and and you just start you know building these positive habits and they just get traction and and pretty soon that's who you are you know it's just a it's such a cool journey that we're able to you know that hunting makes us realize that and makes us want to be better people that's just uh it's uh this life is just such a crazy journey but that was a really fun conversation with dan i want to thank him again for being on the podcast just want to continue to bring you guys these next level conversations um man it's it's like i know when i get things out of the podcast and learn things and get motivated you know i I really feel like it 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 connects with you guys as well because I am just one of you guys, just a, a diehard public land bow hunter that loves to get after it, you know. And and um, so yeah, uh, really fun, really excited at the direction of the podcast. Um, want to take a minute here and and thank our sponsors again. Evolution Outdoors been using their broadheads this year. Um, I really like them. They're performing well for me. Fly really good, really aerodynamic, and just a devastating head. Um, so we'll, we'll get those over to Dan so he can try them out this season in Idaho and, uh, I'll be continuing to use them here and, and, uh, be sharing my results with you guys. So thanks to Evolution Outdoors. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Um, I'm, I didn't do a very good job of describing that BDX reticle when, uh, at the beginning of the podcast. So the BDX system you know, I'm not, I, the BDX does not work on my bow. It's for rifles only. And so like, uh, I just need to think about it before I start doing, you know, before I start talking about it. But the BDX system, what it does is it connects an app on your phone, the range finder, and then also it connects to your rifle scope. 
And so they all three of them talk together to range to figure everything in and puts the exact hold inside your scope. It's just an incredible system for, you know, any kind of shooting. I mean, you guys know with a rifle, even if you're not a long range shooter, uh, you're a precision shooter. And anything that starts to stretch out to 300 yards is starting to get that bullet drop, you know, and you have to know where your rifle is shooting. And that BDX system is just great for calibrating all those things and doing a lot of the, the thinking for you. It's just so much more accurate to hold exactly where you want to hit than than to you know do the um, no not the uh, to I was thinking Texas hard shot but that's the wrong terminology for what I'm trying to describe. It's the uh, God what's that holdover with a scope? I know you guys are screaming at me right now. It's not Kansas holdover. God dang it! What is it? Uh, tennis cash. This is horrible. I can't believe this happened on the anywhere. I cannot think of the Kentucky windage. That's what it's called. Oh, we got a winner. I bet you guys were screaming at me through your speakers. But so you don't got to hold Kentucky windage and try to guess how how high to aim over something to get your bullet in there. You know, this BDX system is going to tell you exactly where to hold. And then you just have to do your job as a, as a shooter and settle your crosshairs and squeeze on the trigger. And that thing's going to dump. So um, I use the same theories in my archery, you know, having a mover sight to be able to hold the pin on exactly where I want it instead of trying to pin gap or, or hold over. So it's just a great system. Thanks to Six Hour for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, uh, with that, yeah, going to head over to catch up with the Eastmans here shortly. Um, been hunting. It's just been incredible. Captured a live podcast here um, last weekend while I was out. And uh, yeah, just some late season mule deer. It's just bitter cold is the real challenge of November. Um, but yeah, seeing a lot of deer and making some plays. And um, gosh, it's been fun. I don't have a lot of time this year. But I'm able to kind of sneak away for a long weekend here or there. So um, I've been scheming. Today is Wednesday. Tomorrow is Thursday, Thanksgiving. And I think Friday I kind of got a long weekend going. And so I think I can kind of sneak out and get back down. It's a lot of driving and some gas money. But I'll be looking at mule deer trying to make something happen. And I'm kind of hungry for a stock. That last trip... Well, spoiler alert, I don't want to spoil the uh, the, the live podcast because I think it's a really fun recording, you know, and I it, in the moment, it's just got all those theories and my actions and what's going through my head and what's the next step. And so you guys get to be on the hunt with me. So it, it's a really cool deal, but I'm having some fun down there and I think I'll shoot back down here this week and continue the live recording and uh, see if I can't get on a trophy buck. I know there's some good ones down there. They're finally getting the weather. I think it's going to uh, condense some deer numbers down at a lower elevation. So um, pumped to just keep after them here. So, all right, guys, that's a wrap. That's the podcast. Um, I'll be checking in with you guys next week. And thanks, as always, for all the support with the podcast, the iTunes reviews, the social media, just trying to be consistent and, and, and put out consistent content on social media. It's always a struggle for me. Uh, trying to be productive and not spend a lot of time on there, but also trying to catch up with, um, got so many people put such great content out there. Dan Salzman's one of them. His content I just love. Um, but there's so much great content out there. I just have to, you know, it's like all of us. We got to keep ourselves in check. Those phones are super addictive. And so I get on there, I spend a little time, try to make a post, and then I'm I'm off there and back engaging with my family and uh, getting work done and the things I need to be doing. But uh, it's all a balance for all of us, me included. So uh, thanks a bunch, guys. We'll uh, check in with you next week.